I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome to another edition of the Giant Subtle Podcast. John Schmelk with you. Today, we're going to be joined very shortly by Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus. But first, a reminder, the John Soto Podcast is brought to you by PSENG, energy efficiency for game time and anytime. Visit PSEG.com slash Giants for discounts, rebates, and home energy assessments. It's time to get inside the Giants huddle huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. on Giants.com. Here we go. Here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there. Let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. All right, folks. We haven't talked to one of our friends from Pro Football Focus in a while, so I figured now is a good time with the Giants playing well to kind of get their take on why and how it is happening. And to do that, friend of the program, Steve Palazzolo joins us from Pro Football Focus. Now, we're recording this Tuesday morning, Steve. My guess is that when this airs on Wednesday, I could say the Yankees could have used, used, used you in their bullpen in Game 5 against Cleveland. Um, how are you, man? It's good to see you. And how's the season treating you? Uh, doing great. Appreciate you having me. And I'll say this. I don't think you want me coming out of the bullpen in a Game 5 deciding game. So I think I think the Yankees will be all right. Yeah, me. well, we hope so. Hopefully people, Yankee fans, will be happy when they listen to this uh, on Wednesday, Steve. So I'm going to start with a very broad question, and you can take it any direction you want. The Giants are one of three teams that are 5-1. and one. Eagles only undefeated team, obviously. How the heck have they done that? Go. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> good interview. Good, you know. All right, we'll see you next I'm time, good, Steve. Thank you. Yeah, glad I'm a good addition to the show. <laughs> I mean, look – um, uh, uh, not traditionally, I would say, right. You know, most wins you can, you can point to specific things where, uh, you know, the offense is humming or it's the, you know, it's, it's such a pass driven league, but the giants are just winning in different ways. You know, whether it's, you know, late game magic against the Baltimore Ravens, a little bit of luck with Lamar Jackson, you get the bad snap and then he, you know, forces one with the Julian love interception. Uh, you have a game like the Packers, obviously where they're, they're down 10 at the half. But they just hang tough, man. They hang tough, and they make they make some key plays down the stretch, um, or even just a week one game going for two against the Titans. Right? Yeah. These little things are adding up to wins for the Giants. So, look, I don't want to diminish their five and one start at all, but it you're not you're not looking at this saying, "Wow, the Giants are one of the most dominant teams in the NFL," or they have this incredible X, Y, or Z. Just I think you know. Every single week, they hang tough. They keep it close. And right now, when it comes to the end of the game, they're making the plays and the other teams are not. And so that's what it's coming down to in simplest terms, I think, as far as the Giants being 5-1 and one right now. 
Yeah, and how much do you attribute some of that at least to coaching in terms of game planning to get the most out of the talent on their roster on both sides of the ball? I mean, I, I think that's where it is, right? I mean, a lot of what we do at PFF is grading every player on every play, right? So um, a lot of times when you look at um, the grades, and look, the, Gi- the, the Giants, again, they're not dominating. They're, we're not looking at this saying, hey, they're, they're one of the highest graded teams in the NFL. They're not. Um, Vegas when they set lines, they don't believe in the Giants necessarily because they don't have dominant talent. It's it's not there. But we usually bridge that gap with with coaching, with late game decision making, with some way of getting the most out of the scheme. Like when you look at a Wink Martindale scheme, you know, they they do create so much pressure, a lot of unblocked pressure, right? They're 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 blitzing so much. Um and that is a team centric thing, right? So that is uh probably one of the things that the Giants are doing well is creating that havoc creating just enough indecision for quarterbacks that that Lamar is making late game turnovers and that Aaron Rodgers is getting passes batted down at the goal line. Right. So um, that's one of those things you could attribute it to. And yeah. So I think for right now, absolutely. You've got to give a ton of credit to the coaching staff, the defensive schemes and the creativity on offense as well to tap into what they have from a playmaker situation, because it could be dire on the offensive side and it's not great, but they're finding a way to get players involved and, and do just enough there. Yeah, they're averaging around 21 points per game. It's kind of right smack in the middle of the league with the way it's going. And the amazing thing, Steve, is that, look, usually when you get teams off to a record, you don't suspect, to argue, well, maybe it was the schedule. Well, the Giants have beat Tennessee, Green Bay, and Baltimore. Are they the you know elite of the elite? Yep. No, but they're good, solid NFL franchise with a history of success. You know, has it been a big turnover differential thing? Yeah, the Giants are on the positive side, but it's not crazy. And then, all right, maybe it's a bunch of explosive plays. Well, certainly not that. The Giants 28th in 15-plus yard passing plays. Last in the league on pass attempts of 20 yards or more. That's why you guys over at PFF. Just 10 all year. And they've come back against those three teams with two score deficits in the second half. Something this team's not designed to do. And I think the amazing thing to me is that they've done it by sticking with the run game in the second half. You don't see many comebacks powered by the run game, but I think that's kind of how the Giants have done it here, and at least against the Ravens, there weren't even any explosive runs. Barkley didn't have a 10-plus yard run in the game, so it's just very different, and it's kind of hard to compute a little bit for us that have watched this for a long time. Yeah, that's why. Don't ask me. I don't know. None (laughs) of it it makes sense, but look, again, I I think, you know, Daniel Jones has played well. He's played efficient football the last couple weeks. I think the other element that Jones has added, not in every game, but the run game from yeah. from from the quarterback, you know, that is one of those things. I, I describe it on our on the PFF NFL podcast a lot. I describe quarterback running as raising the floor of your offense. Um, whereas you know, a Lamar Jackson is probably he's kind of the guy in the in the in the offense for the Ravens. But I got like Jalen Hurts with how how often the Eagles are using him, the D- Giants and Daniel Jones. It just raises your floor. You don't need to have this precision passing attack if you start converting third downs, just a few third downs with your legs. You add the design run game in there and pick up some yards. So it doesn't have to look as pretty if the quarterback's involved in the run game. I think that's a factor. I think the way they're using Saquon Barkley, the direct snap stuff, and um, you know, finding a way for him to just create key explosive plays, right? He's created explosive plays at the right time against the Packers or whatever it might have been. So um Again, it's tough to put your finger on it and say, hey, here's this thing that they're doing that's going to be sustainable forever. Enjoy it. It's five and one. They're finding a way. Um, and, and the good part is 
I mean, I, I still think they're rebuilding, right? I mean, the Giants are still rebuilding. There's still talents to add here, but it's a lot more fun to win while you're rebuilding yeah. than to lose while you're rebuilding. So, um, again, I think you got to credit the staff and, you know, you know how they're maximizing the talent that's on the field right now. Yeah, you mentioned Saquon Barkley. Let's talk about him. Uh, I haven't recalculated this, but heading into the Ravens game, Steve, the Giants had 10 offensive touchdowns this year. On six of those 10 touchdown drives, Saquon Barkley had a play of 29 yards or more. So to say he was a big part of their touchdown drives would be an understatement. You know, how much do you contribute attribute the success of the offense to Barkley? And how much is it improved run blocking? Because quite frankly, I, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, there was a point midway through the year where Barkley had more yards after contact than he had yards which usually is not a great sign that the offensive line is blocking particularly well. Those numbers are a lot better this year. So how do you look at that and the improved Giants run game? Is it Barkley being healthy? Is it the run blocking? Is it both? How do you guys view that? Well, I think it's definitely both. I mean, the run blocking is definitely better than it's been in, in previous years. The pass blocking is better than it's been in previous yeah. years. I know they've had some struggles at, you know, at times, but you see Andrew Thomas, you know, one of the best tackles in the league right now at left tackle. But I think with Barkley, it's always been an issue of, He's not the most efficient down-for-down down runner. Um, he's not a guy that really just gets four or five every single time. I know the average ends up there, but he is the guy that that creates explosive plays. And and he's when when you when you take a Saquon Barkley, it's like, look, is he a little dependent on his run blocking? I think he is. You know, I think I think a Nick Chubb with the Browns, even though he's had good run blocking in Cleveland, Nick Chubb creates a little bit more when nothing is there. He's the guy that kind of creates a four-yard gain where, where nothing is there. And Nick Chubb also has explosive ability. But I think Barkley is as good as it gets when it comes to, if you block it up and give him a crease, he will create that big play, right? And, and that's really what we've seen early in the season is Saquon Barkley, you know, you just stick with it, stick with it. And before you know it, here's a 30-yarder, here's a 40-yarder, here's his big play. And even though he didn't have that against the Ravens necessarily, that has generally been the trend for Barkley when he's been healthy. Um, a game where he's kind of trudging along, trudging along, but they stick with it. Barkley creates a big play. So, yeah, I think overall the run blocking has been better. Saquon Barkley being healthy has been awesome. And you see the the explosiveness, whether it's in the pass game or in the run game. He is their playmaker right now that they can count on for an explosive, you know, at least once or twice a game. Yeah, I'll get to the offensive line. You mentioned that. But, Steve, are we seeing a trend in the league generally of a shift a little bit more towards the run game with all these too high safety defenses and, you know, teams basically threatening you, look, run the ball. We're not going to let you get big plays down the field. Are we seeing a, a shift here? And is that one of the things that's working in the Giants' favor where, you know, they don't really have the you know the horses outside, and we'll talk about it, to throw deep, where everyone is, is running these two safety high defense stuff now, and that kind of plays into what the Giants are good at. Is this something that we're going to see around the league where it's going to become a little bit more of a running league now with the way defenses are playing? Yeah, it feels like that's one of the ebbs and flows right now, which is why I think you have some teams that are winning ugly, right? You know, that that are, you know, quote unquote, quote unquote winning ugly. Um, and I use that, it's an endearing term, winning oh, ugly. Sure. Because the whole league is ugly right now. Tom Brady said it a couple of weeks ago, it's ugly football. We just, you know, we just saw Monday night football. We just saw the last two Thursday night games. You know, they are, there's some ugly offensive games. So I do think the league is, uh, the 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 parity that is showing up in the league right now, I think is as much schematic as it is uh, talent, right? It, it is what kind of what you're describing is teams are saying, okay, put together a 15 play drive, right? Take the short passes, run the ball against us. We're not going to give up those explosive plays. 
it trended like this a little bit last year where teams were playing more zone. They were throwing the ball underneath. But this is an extreme this year. This this was a thing that was like, uh, you know, the antidote to Patrick Mahomes and the explosive Chiefs offense. But it's not just for Mahomes. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals have struggled with it. This is how they're attacking Joe Burrow and their explosive passing attack. This is how teams are attacking everybody. So, yeah, I think there is this element of short pass game and the run game now being a little bit more important in this particular ebb and flow of the league. And it takes teams, again, no offense to the Giants, but teams with lesser rosters. They have a they have a lesser roster from a talent standpoint compared to others, but it is helping it is help uh, helping to bridge the gap and, you know, level the playing field just a little bit this year. You mentioned the offensive line. Steve, have the Giants successfully creeped back towards average here? Or are they there? <laughs> I don't know if I have our official rankings directly in front of me, but that is <laughs> that is one of our axioms, right? Just don't be the worst. Don't be bad. Don't be bottom 10 as an offensive line. And I think they have been able to get back toward that middle of the pack type of range. You know, I mentioned Andrew Thomas. I think he's still highest graded tackle for us. Um, incredible turnaround to his career so far. Um, and look, it's not without issues up front. Evan Neal's had some growing pains, I think, as a rookie. Um, they, they still have, they still have some questions up front, but overall, I think they've done a nice job. I think some of their, you know, periphery blocking has been, uh, has been good as well. You know, tapping into, you know, the tight ends and everything. Yeah. And them be a, there. yeah. yeah I mean, they, they've been good in, in those, again, those, those things that I'm not going to talk about in like a season preview, right? You're, you might talk, you get into, you know, depth about the whole roster, but I'm probably not going to talk about the blocking tight ends. But little things like that, I think the Giants have done a really good job of. And the offensive line has definitely been better than it's been in, pre- in previous years. Yeah, I mean, you can you can talk more about Andrew Thomas if you want. But, you know, I think it's, it speaks, and you guys talk about this as well. It takes offensive linemen some time sometimes. You know, that that's a two- to three-year position. And I think Andrew, you know, Evan Neal, excuse me, you know, he had that really rough game against Dallas. But I think, Steve, otherwise, he's probably been okay. And I realize yeah. they've given him help. They've chipped a lot and stuff like that. I wonder how you guys kind of include that in terms of how you grade. Um, but I think Evan Neal's been okay. You know, he's had some rough spots like you would you would expect, but I think you would assume as he gets more and more experience, he's going to turn into a, a good starting right tackle down the road. Yeah, I mean, as far as grading goes, we'll, we're not necessarily accounting for situation. It's something we can kind of pull out after the fact and say, hey, this guy graded well. However, you know, here's how much Got help it. he had or here's how much he was on an island. I think with Andrew Thomas, yeah, I mean, I say this a ton, which is, Offensive line is one of those things. I, I I think fans expect every player to get better, like it's a Madden game, right? Where it's you start low and then you move up and you move up, and by year four you're better. You just get better every year, and that's not really the truth in NFL uh, player evaluation. But with offensive line, it's close. Um, offensive linemen, you do actually see them as they get closer to 1,500, 2,000 snaps. They can show improvement as they get into years three and four. They can show improvement. We saw Andrew Thomas have a really rough first eight to 10 games, whatever that was his rookie year. But since that point, incremental improvement. And this year, a big jump forward. Um, we liked him a ton coming out of Georgia. I thought he was, I, I thought he was the best all around pass blocker and run blocker coming out of that draft class that included Tristan Wars and included those other first round uh, tackles. And I think Thomas is starting to live up to that. And Evan Neal, I think is similar um, in this draft class. felt like the best combination of, Hey, this guy can do it in pass pro. This guy can do it in the run game. Charles Cross was a little bit more of a pass blocker, and Iki Iquano was more of a run blocker. But I think Evan Neal eventually becomes that total package as well. It just it does take time, and um, definitely encouraging for the Giants. Though it looks like they they will have their bookend tackles for a while, and you just probably have some work to do on the interior. But yeah, I think Evan Neal will be just fine, you know, in in short order. 
All right, let's talk about Daniel Jones. You mentioned how he's grading, Steve. And I wonder how you guys parse through this because we're having trouble here. Because the Giants have to, on our shows, the Giants have to make a big decision on Daniel Jones after the year, right? He's, his contract's up. They didn't pick up his fifth-year option. What they're asking him to do, he's doing very well. He's being efficient. He's not turning the ball over. He's been pretty accurate, especially the last two, three weeks. And they're moving the ball and they're winning football games. But at the same time, they're not asking him – to do a lot. I think you guys have what two big time throws this year or something like that. And two. as I mentioned earlier, fewest passes over 20 yards in the air attempts in the NFL in terms of team wise. So how do you parse a guy where he's really executing the coach's game plan? Well, he's making really good decisions, but he's really not having to make those big explosive plays. And he hasn't done that. So how do you view Jones through that kind of odd prism? Yeah, I mean, I think on one level, we try to evaluate, you know, at what he's trying to do, right? And, you know, from a grading standpoint, he's been solid, um, especially the last three games. Um, so that's that's one thing you can do. The other the other issue, and unfortunately, it's four years in a row now for Daniel Jones. It's trying to separate the quarterback from, from what their supporting cast really is. And Josh Allen is an extreme case. But if you go back to Josh Allen's career, he wasn't good as a rookie. He got a little bit better in year two. He took the big jump in year three. Meanwhile, the Bills roster around him is just skyrocketing. The offensive line got better. They added Stephon, uh, Stephon Diggs. They added John Brown. They added Cole Beasley. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, he's got three legit playmakers to throw to. We, with with Daniel Jones, it's like they went from they had some playmakers, but they all were hurt. The off, But the offensive line's an issue as well. And now this year, it's like, okay, who who is he throwing to? What's going on? I mean, if if Aaron Rodgers was throwing to the guys that Daniel Jones is throwing to, it would be a national story. Like the Packers have failed Aaron Rodgers. Right. The Packers are not giving him <laughs> the weapons he needs to go win a Super Bowl. So we do have to, you know, give Daniel Jones that same, uh, not pass, but you got to look at it through that lens as much as possible that, okay, he's probably not going to create explosive plays, right? Unless he's just forcing it to Darius Slayton down the field over and over again, but that's not what they're doing. So, um, at the same time, a guy that's just playing game manager role and adding a little bit of value on the in the run game and all that stuff, I don't think that's the guy that you want to tie thirty million dollars to because you know the going rate for the next quarterback, no matter who it is, is going to be thirty to forty million, right? Forty million for the best, thirty million for your second tier. So it's a challenge, right? I mean, the Giants have to look around and say, can we get someone else to execute this type of offense? But more importantly. Like the Giants don't want to be here three years from now running this offense, right? You can't right. you can't win. You're not going to win consistently in the NFL scoring 21 points a game, right? I know we're sitting here in weeks, we're heading into week seven. It's five and one, feeling good. You're not going to win consistently in the NFL scoring 21 points a game. So whether that's Daniel Jones, whether that's the offensive line a little bit still, whether that's the playmakers, it's a combination of those things. But the question is, where's my quarterback that's going to get us to 25 points a game? And how are we going to build around him to do that? So it's good right now. Good job executing, but I, I I still don't think we've seen enough that Jones is the guy that you want to build around going yeah. forward. And I think the endless question then, Steve, is he if he ha if it was better around him, could he be that guy that gets you 25 a game? And I'm not sure we've been put in the situation to have that answer for sure, but it's hard to continue to just kicking the can to to wait and see, wait and see. So I, I think it's I think Joe Shane is gonna have a tough decision after the year, especially they keep winning games, right? They're not gonna be in a position to draft a quarterback in the top five or top ten if they, even they finish with eight, nine wins, whatever it is. And, you know, do you maybe try to do one more year and continue to see? I think it's gonna be a tough needle to thread for Joe Shane when he kind of makes that call at the end of the season.
Yeah, and we've seen other teams in this position, which uh, the Indianapolis Colts have done this for the last five years. It's kind of, you know, grab Phillip Rivers for a year and grab uh, Carson Wentz essentially for a year. And now they're on to Matt Ryan. We've seen we've seen Washington kind of uh, do this a little bit. They grabbed Ryan Fitzpatrick for a year last year. And um, even when they did draft, it was Dwayne Haskins in the middle of that first round in 2019. And Haskins was never really a high-end prospect, but he was good enough to go in the first. Uh, it's a really tough position to be in, but I, I think in today's NFL, again, no offense to Daniel Jones, but I think there's a lot of Daniel Jones caliber quarterbacks out there. I think there's a lot of quarterbacks who, if you're just straight ranking them one to 32, not necessarily what they're doing through six games, but what they're doing, what they've done and what you expect them to do going forward. I think you'd put Daniel Jones in that 20 to 30 range, right? In today's NFL, 18 to 30 range. And I, I think there's a chunk of those guys who are all capable starters. So it makes it really difficult to pluck one of those guys out and say, okay, that's the guy we're going to pay when maybe some of those guys are available uh, a little bit cheaper, whatever it might be. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a really tricky situation. And like I said, because, because the receiver situation is so uh, uneasy, uh, it, you're not probably going to get a pure evaluation of Jones as a passer still, you know, and what he could do with those, with those high end playmakers. And Steve, last thing on the offense before we jump over to wink, you know, I think the one thing I underestimated with the addition of Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, they've been able to create some easy stuff for Jones and more importantly, this yeah. wide receiver group, right? They haven't asked them to go out there and win one-on-one on the on the perimeter and against the corner. You know, they've used play action. I didn't check after the Baltimore game, but I know they had run more play action passes than any other team heading into the Baltimore game and a lot of rollouts, you know, scheme things up. And I think this they, this coaching staff creating the easy stuff to allow this offense to move the ball, despite the fact the wide receiver situation has been a mess, as we've talked about, I think has been really, really impressive. And, and frankly, I didn't think they would be able to move the ball this consistently given the wide receiver situation. Yeah, I mean, those are those are NFL cheat codes that you have to tap into. And, and, that, and that is great. I know it's, it's kind of the opposite of what the narrative was when Jason Garrett was calling plays. It's like, why not just throw a guy in motion? It does help open things up why not run play action it does open things up um that that is i mean we we saw that with brian dable with um with josh allen in in buffalo there were games when even when allen was starting to he's trying to figure it out they would just come out and throw the ball 22 straight times or whatever it was just because that was the advantage right that was the advantage they had in that game against say a a really good run defense and that is important i think as a play caller not to just get into this hey this is what we do we're just going to execute. Well, the Giants, if they just try to execute, I don't think it's going to go well over time. So you do have to tap into play action, tap into moving the pocket, tap into Daniel Jones and his rushing ability. And all that adds up to, yeah, they're stitching it together and creating much better offense than I think you know most of the league would have expected. All right, let, let's jump over to the defense side of the ball, Stephen. You know, Wing Martindale, I think heading into the year, if, if you told me that this would be the cornerback situation outside of a Dory Jackson, Aaron Robinson's been in out of the lineup. Darnie Holmes has been healthy. Fabian Moreau, you know, was basically picked up off the scrap heap. And 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 he, he's been a guy that's now he played every snap against the Ravens last week. You know, given Wink, and he's still playing a lot of cover one, and I'll talk about his blitz schemes in a second. How the heck is he doing this against, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, Ryan Tannehill with the cornerback group that he's had to roll out there this year? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely impressive. You've seen that, you know, it, it's just like on offense. You are you're maximizing what you have defensively. Um, you're and you're right. I mean, this, this scheme in, in Baltimore, 
they knew where the investment needed to go, right? It was Marlon Humphrey in the first round. It was Marcus Peters. They were rolling three deep on paper every year at cornerback. And it, it felt like the Giants were, you know, especially after losing James Bradbury, it felt like, hey, you're away here to, you know, get a compliment to Adoree Jackson and um, and get some talent there. But they've done a good job there. You're, you're getting a career year from Dexter Lawrence up front. Leonard Williams, when he's healthy, is 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 really solid as well. Um, so I think that certainly helped. But yeah, it's just it's creating enough indecision from quarterbacks, and you know, just and that that's what it comes down to. You know, you're creating indecision as the rest of the league is trending, like we're saying, to you know, four man rush, too high, creating enough indecision for quarterbacks that um, it's making life easy, it, making life difficult, making some of those completions more difficult. And I think that's what we're seeing so far. Don't miss Giants football at MetLife Stadium. Limited tickets are available for all remaining home games, including a matchup with the Eagles. Visit Giants.com slash tickets to find your game this season and secure your seat. And Steve, I know the blitz numbers and the metrics say that Wink is still blitzing all the time. He's sending guys. But my sense watching it is that it's not quite as an aggressive blitz package as we saw what he used in Baltimore. So I don't think we're seeing quite as many cover zeros. These guys aren't quite on an island as much. I think they're playing a little bit more off. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys see something in data that I'm not seeing with my eyes. And look, I didn't watch the Ravens every week. So maybe my impression of what they were doing was wrong. But it seems like while he's still doing a lot of this blitz stuff, it's not he's not quite putting as much pressure on this secondary as he had in prior years with the Ravens. Yeah, I think that's what I'm seeing. I don't have the numbers handy right off the top of my head, but I think with you know with Lamar Jackson, they they blitzed a bunch, but it wasn't it wasn't pure cover zero. It wasn't it wasn't like you know we're blitzing six and there's you know there's right. four in coverage and a lot of five man you know, guys, a lot, lot, lot yeah. of five man pressures. Yeah, yeah, and, and and like I said, I think that um, the way I would describe his scheme with the Ravens was you're not necessarily relying on winning one-on-ones. So as much as it's nice to have uh, a Kayvon Thibodeau and he makes a huge play on Sunday and, and you want to have a pass rusher that that wins one-on-ones, the Ravens did a really good job of breeding uh, effective edge rushers because they were getting, they were just getting one-on-one matchups. You couldn't slide doubles and, and it did just enough to screw up protection. So like a Matthew Judon, who's a very good player, becomes like a 13 sack guy and he got paid and he's going to new England, but the Ravens would kind of rotate through these guys that would have these huge sack totals who maybe weren't great one-on-one pass rushers. So that's what you're doing is, is creating one-on-ones for your pass rushers. So a guy like Dexter Lawrence can eat Kayvon Thibodeau, I think is going to continue to improve and put up big numbers, but you're making life easier for those guys. And in turn, yeah, you're not, if you're not leaving your corners on an Island, you, they know the ball's coming out quickly. They can react. They can tackle. They can break on the ball, try to break up a pass, whatever it might be. So um, that's – look, the aggressiveness does get burnt sometimes, right? You're going to give up some big plays here and there. But for right now, working pretty well, and, and you just see uh, what it does to opposing uh, pass protection schemes because you create enough free rushers that it creates some havoc, and you know sometimes those plays go your way. And the question I've asked here too, Stephen, is how much do you think they've benefited from – while they faced a couple of good quarterbacks with Rodgers and, and Lamar Jackson and go back to Ryan Tannehill, you know, if you look at the wide receiver groups the Giants have faced this year, Tennessee, Carolina, Chicago, Green Bay, Baltimore, and then throw Dallas and they have CeeDee Lamb, sure. Uh, but Cooper Rush was the quarterback, right? right? So how much do you think they've benefited from maybe not seeing the best groups of wide receivers that can take advantage of some of those opportunities against those cover ones? 
Well, I mean, that's also a huge factor, too. At PFF, we are very cautious to complement defenses because defensive performance is so dependent on who you play. So um, a team like Tennessee, they were trying to figure it out week one. They don't have A.J. Brown. They don't have the best group of receivers. They're trying to get their tight ends involved. A a team like Green Bay a couple weeks ago, Aaron Rodgers, their offense has just been – all over the place, right? Some games, they're just chucking it down the field. Other games against the Giants, they were very horizontal. It was a lot of short stuff. It was yeah. a lot of get the ball to guys in space. And then when they did go up top, it's low percentage throws. And, and so beating the blitz is about that chemistry between quarterbacks and receivers. So I think that was huge with Rodgers not having those guys that he could trust just yet. And Lamar Jackson missing a Rashad Bateman, right? In that game, it definitely felt like, hey, Mark Andrews is my dude. He's going to make his plays. But they've had Rashad Bateman and a little bit of Devin DuVernay, but Rashad Bateman's been that complimentary piece. Um, he had a 75-yarder against the Blitz, against the Dolphins, uh, you know, back in week two. Uh, so, yeah, look, all of that is a fact. Plus, the, the Panthers and the Bears are as bad as it gets offensively. So, that's, you know, that's part of the success here. So, yeah, it all adds up, man. I mean, who you play does matter, but particularly wide receiver cores where they're not necessarily right on the same page with their quarterbacks right now as they're trying to figure things out. Dexter Lawrence, breakout year. Why, Steve, and, and and what do you think about how he's playing so far? Yeah, I mean, I think he's just one of those guys who's been very good and then just, you know, breaks out into, uh, you know, an all-pro caliber year. That's Dexter Lawrence. You know, Jeffrey Simmons from the Titans is having a, a similar season. They were, I think that was the same draft class, right, 2019? Yep. Um, you know, I, Dexter Lawrence, just got, he's just gone from very good to, <clears throat> to you know, have taking that big step forward. So not everybody steps into the league in his Aaron Donald, right? Aaron Donald was all pro almost right off the bat, but we've seen other guys like Cameron Hayward go from good to, okay, now in year four, five, six becomes that uh, dominant interior defensive lineman. So I think there's elements of that to Dexter Lawrence's game. We'll see if he can keep that up again. Same thing. Sometimes it's matchup driven, right? He dominated the bears. Um, So you take, take that for what it's worth, but that's, that's valuable, right? When another, when another team has a weakness, being able to dominate that weakness is valuable in the NFL. And I think we've seen that from, from Lawrence so far. Your guys' thoughts on Kayvon Thibodeau's performance as a rookie so far? Yeah, I think he's off to a good start. You know, he's he's got a good solid grade for us. He's getting some pressures. Um, the other guys that he'll be compared to, Aiden Hutchinson with Detroit and Trayvon Walker with the Jaguars. I mean, those guys are those guys are playing a ton of snaps. Yeah, uh, they 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 played a lot more than Thibodeau has, of course, because of injury. But um, Walker and Hutchinson are not winning at a high level when it comes to just pure pass rush wins so far. I think we're seeing Thibodeau off to a better start than those guys. So uh, very encouraging. And the draft is so fascinating because last year at this time, everybody expected Thibodeau to be the number one overall pick. So it doesn't mean that Walker or Hutchinson's that much better than him just because perception changed over the course of a few months. If Thibodeau ends up the best of the bunch, I don't know if anybody would be surprised. And he's off to a good start to, uh, to prove that. The Giants official connected TV streaming app Giants TV brings original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV is free on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire TV and the Giants mobile app. Steve, I'd be remiss if I did not ask you about your Jacksonville Jaguars with the Giants heading down to Jacksonville. We got the helmet right behind you. I don't have any Mark Brunel jerseys, though, for you. Sorry. (laughs) Um, And by the way, I did back in the day, I did own a Jimmy Smith jersey. He led me to like multiple fantasy championships, and he should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way. Jimmy Smith was excellent. Absolutely. He's awesome. All right, so what should Giant fans be prepared for when they take on the the Jaguars? Let's start offensively first, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Where's he at now in kind of year number two? 
Yeah, my, my team's really the 90s Jaguars. That's yes, my Jaguars, course. right? My, my Mark <laughs> Brunel-led Jags. Um, we're seeing some inconsistency from Trevor Lawrence, right? As soon as we thought, okay, is he is he turning a corner after week three? They're two and one, and they're you know, they're moving the ball. Just some inconsistency. You see some of the special throws. I think they're doing a good job of scheming it up, but um, we're complimenting the Giants for making the most of their playmakers. The Jaguars don't necessarily have the, that true number one for Trevor Lawrence to rely upon either. So they're doing a pretty good job of scheming it up and getting guys like Christian Kirk into space and everything. So um, they'll move him around a little bit. He'll he'll add with his legs. But there's what 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 we always call rookie mistakes. I mean, there's still mistakes in there with Lawrence. A few missed throws, uh, forces into coverage, whatever it might be. Took a really bad sack and field goal range last week. So inconsistency so far from Trevor Lawrence, but. An offense that's way more exciting than they were last year and more capable than they were last year. There are explosive plays to be had in there from this Jags offense. And this feels like, though, a matchup against a young quarterback where Wink can kind of try some of his tricks, right? And that could give Trevor sure. some issues. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I think Lawrence through a year plus, um, you see that hesitancy in him sometimes. Last year, he'd just he'd pat the ball and just be a tick slow and throw it in, into coverage. So if you speed him up a little bit, if you rush him, I think you force him into some in- inaccurate throws, force him into some bad decisions. I think uh, the blitz against Lawrence, as long as you keep him contained, he can run. Like I said, um, the blitz against Trevor Lawrence, I think will be uh, a pretty fun matchup to watch. You know, Steve, I didn't mention this before, you know, wings defenses in Baltimore, they usually were pretty good against the run. The Johns have actually struggled against the run this year. Is that a deal where you think they're playing a lot of safeties and not playing as many linebackers? Uh, are they trying to compensate for the, you know, for the DBs. Why do you think the Giants have had some issues stopping the run this year? Yeah, I'm not sure offhand. You know, I think there's, you know, there's a couple of, it, it also goes to who you play um, sure. as far as, you know, the same, the same reason for receivers, you know, the Packers didn't run the ball a ton, but they've got a good run game. The Ravens, no matter what you do, you're going to come out of there giving up 200 rushing yards. So if you're just using that as a metric, <laughs> right, it's just, you play the Ravens, they're, yeah. they're going to stumble into 200, you know, that's just what they do. So I, I think that's probably a huge part of it because the run game's about you miss a gap here, you miss a gap there. It's a it's a 30, 40 yard run. And I think we're we're seeing a little bit of that so far. All right, Jaguars defense, final question, Steve. Uh obviously Trayvon Walker, you talked about him. Josh Allen on the other side. Uh what does the Jaguars defense do? What do they look like? And what are they gonna be the challenges for the Giants offense against them? Yeah, they've had some really good games this year. They they shut down the Chargers. You know, Justin Herbert had his torn cartilage, but um, shut down the Chargers back in week three. Um, they're really athletic. Josh Allen, uh, much like uh, Dexter Lawrence having a breakout here, Josh Allen, former first rounder, the, the defensive end, Josh Allen. Um, he's been one of the best pass rushers in the league this year. Trayvon Walker, who I mentioned on the other side, you see you see glimpses of why he went number one overall. He's had a few spectacular plays in there. He's also had a bunch of penalties, some some really bad penalties that blew, you know, lost a couple of games for the Jaguars. But they're athletic. They've got some playmakers. Trayvon Walker, Devin Lloyd, the rookie linebacker. So they, they'll fly around. They'll make some plays in the secondary. But um, they're they're a rebuilding team as well. As much as the Jags showed a lot of promise early in the season, they're still trying to turn that roster over from the last couple of years. So they've been a little hit or miss, but they're a fun defense to watch because they do have some young, explosive playmakers who I think are going to be pretty good. Steve Palazzolo, him and Sam Monson host the flagship PFF NFL podcast, the PFF NFL podcast. Steve, uh, talk about whatever else you want to promote. The floor is yours before we say goodbye. Yes, I appreciate it. The flagship podcast at, at PFF. <laughs> it's the PFF NFL podcast. We also do a 10-minute daily podcast called the PFF NFL Daily. So Sam and I crank out eight podcasts a week, about eight hours of coverage on, on all the NFL. 
And then at pff.com, we have PFF Plus, our package that has all the grade stats, betting, fantasy, the whole thing rolled into one. So be sure to check all that out. Has Sam tried to throw 60 miles an hour yet or no? Not yet. We are, we're, we're close to a deal with uh, Great American Ballpark and the Reds Ooh. to get onto the stadium to, uh, to see if Sam could throw 60. We're trying, we raised money for charity to see if uh, my Irish uh, co-host here could, could throw 60 miles an hour. He's, he's very confident that he can. Yeah. He has a lot of confidence with his athletic ability. I'm actually fairly impressed by his confidence. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, we went one-on-one and, you know, he tried to cover me one time. It didn't go so well. Ran right <laughs> by him. You know, he's a former cornerback. So uh, maybe you shouldn't have that confidence anymore. Good stuff, Steve. Enjoy the rest of the season, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Steve Palazzolo, Pro Football Focus. We thank you for joining us on the John Settle Podcast. We'll see you next time, everybody. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.